want to dive right in. We got a lot of ground to cover, but it's good ground to cover. So last week, we, we didn't get very far. I was looking back through the presentation and my notes. I'm like, wow, I really didn't. I must have been really chatty last week because we did not get far at all. But that's okay. Remember, the goal here is not to finish something. It's to become disciples. Amen? So just like with our Acts study where we, we went 18 months in the book of Acts, which really, looking back on it, we covered that pretty quickly. I mean, we could have gone a lot deeper. And I don't know how you came out of on the other end of the book of Acts study, but for me, I grew exponentially through that. So now when I crack open the book of Acts, it's like things are just jumping out at me because we spent time in it, and it really impacted me deeply. And I continue to refer back to it over and over and over. So as we get started tonight, I want us to pray, and then we're going to hit the ground running, going to invite you. I'm going to share a couple of things as we get started just to set it up, but then I'll invite you. If you don't have a purple book, we do have them available. They're $6. That's cost. The reason we want you to pay it is, A, we want you to have skin in the game for your own discipleship. It's kind of like what we did with Financial Peace University. The good news is this isn't $100. This is $6, but we do. We want you to have skin in the game. We want you to step in this with us and value your own discipleship path, value your own growth, value your own journey. So let's pray together as we get started. Father, what a privilege and what an honor to be together as friends and family tonight. And Holy Spirit, even right now, we lean into you because your word even says about who you are. It says that you are the spirit of truth who leads us and guides us into all truth. And so Lord, as our, as our leader and as our guide, as a favor, would you begin to peel back layers of scripture for us? Father, this is not really about the purple book. It is about the book, the book of books, the Bible, the scriptures. And so, Lord, as we look into your word, which even it describes itself as being living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, as we lean into this book, I pray, that Lord, that life would abound out of it or the Hebrew word, l'chaim, to life, that life would abound out of it. The Greek word, zoe, the God kind, the God quality of life, would abound. And that even as we peel back layer by layer, we would see things that we've never seen, even in passages or scriptures or verses that we've read maybe a maybe hundred times. But that, Lord, because your word is living, because it is active, that it would speak to us in a fresh way. Thank you for the nuances of the scripture. Thank you for the layers of truth that are contained in this book. And so, Lord, we position ourselves tonight. We posture ourselves as disciples. So my prayer for all of us, including myself, even as we go through this together, is, Lord, open our eyes. Would you open our eyes that we may see? Would you open our ears that we may hear? And would you open our hearts that we may know the truth that makes us free? So we lean into it. We welcome you. And thank you for being our teacher tonight. In Jesus' name, everyone said... Amen and amen. Let's get started. I want to just show you, um, we, we've been saying this little phrase, and, and this is going to continue to go about, have you done the purple book? I've actually been thinking about, 
in the spring, all right? We're in the spring of this year, but the spring of next year, because we're going to go through the fall, kicking off, you know, the new, the, the new turn that we're making. But in the spring of next year, I've really been thinking and leaning into doing a Purple Book Challenge, where we challenge every person in our church to go through the Purple Book together. And so I'll probably do that as a series during the, during the spring, uh, probably a, a if we do a series, just so you know, I don't do 32-week series. I'll do four to six week, probably at the most. Occasionally, we may do a do an eight-week or two months. But really, I like to keep things short and to the point, and I like to keep things moving. So just so you kind of get an idea of where we're going to be going. So I want to do a series on the Purple Book, and really the series will be on development and discipleship because that is our mandate. So I want to share a couple of things with you as we go through it. We're talking about Chapter 2, Lordship and Obedience. We're going to pick up where we left off, but I want to share a couple of things with you. Go, Russ, to the Laying Foundation Scripture. Deuteronomy 30, 16 says this, For I commanded you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, and to keep His commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. I want to keep moving. Luke 6, 46 and 49 says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? This is Jesus speaking. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I don't know about you, but when I read a verse like that, I feel the gravity of that. I feel the gravity of obedience. And it's funny how sometimes, depending on your culture and where you came out of, or the home you were raised in, the church you were raised in, sometimes a word like obedience or repentance sounds negative. There's a negative connotation. But really, obedience is what positions us for blessing. It's a great word. It's a great word. The reason why we're called to submit and obey is because God is a good father. And a good father wants to protect his children by giving boundaries and Within boundaries, we find safety. We find freedom within boundaries. But being good, independent West Texas folk, I mean, we're kind of that, uh, you know, don't put a boundary around me. Don't tell me what to do. And I'm telling you, if you're a child of God, you have submitted your rights to him. And the scripture says that we have been purchased. We've been bought with a price. We're not even our own any longer. So hate to break it to you, Texans. But uh, you're not as independent as you think. So and when you're a child of God, you are truly dependent upon him. And so it's a beautiful thing. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Verse 49, but the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. Anybody who's ever had a house with a bad foundation, you know that's bad news. That, that does not end well. The moment the torrent or the storm struck that house, it collapsed. And look what it says. This is strong. Its destruction was complete. That means it was total. Total destruction because it wasn't built on a good foundation. So the whole idea of what we're doing is laying strong foundations. John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Matthew 28, one of my favorite passages in the scripture. Of course, I say that about most of the Bible, but I do love the scripture. Verse 18, then Jesus, some of you are picking up on that already. I thought that other verse was his favorite verse. Then Jesus said to them and said, came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore... Remember, there's no punctuation in the, in the Koine Greek. He's literally rolling one thing in there. So we have to ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? 
that therefore is there for a reason. And we need to ask that question. As Bible students, we always need to position ourselves with this idea, context is king. There's a reason that's there. So let's see what the therefore is there for, and he's going to tell us what it means. All authority has been given to him, and then this one rhetorical statement, he's conferring authority onto us. This is massive. This is massive because most followers of Jesus that I've been around can barely keep their head above water in life, and they don't realize they're packing heat. They don't realize they've been called to be warriors. They've been called to live above the line. They've been called to overcome. We had this conversation with our staff. We do our staff meetings on Wednesday morning, and we were talking about this very thing, that we've been called to live an overcoming life. That doesn't mean perfect. Remember? Remember our sign? What does our sign say up here? You got it. That is, says it as bold as we can get it up there. And we're working on it, by the way. So there will be a sign there eventually. I've got to get the dimensions and all. But we've already got people lined out to do that. But that, the idea that we're somehow perfect, the, the, the idea there is, is the flip side of the coin is this. We feel like if we're not perfect, then we don't have any authority or we can't walk in authority. It's not true. Grace and mercy give us what we don't deserve. Because if we got what we deserved, remember what the wages of sin is? Death. Yeah, it'd be bad, wouldn't it? Oh, but the grace of God. God's grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what grace can stand for. Thank you, Dr. Frankie Rainey. God's riches at Christ's expense. And so we have grace. We have mercy. So we don't get what we deserve. We get what he purchased for us and then conferred upon us. And in this case, it's authority. So the therefore is therefore to let us know that we've been given conferred authority. Now look what that authority is for. He says, go. I always heard this. The first two words of the gospel are go. We're supposed to go, but look what it says. Go and make disciples. Remember what this says in the original Greek. I've said it a dozen times and we'll keep saying it. It doesn't say make disciples of all nations. It actually says disciple the nations. Do you know that the call upon our life is to disciple Asia? The call upon our life is to disciple Canada. The call upon our life is to disciple Paris. Anybody want to sign up for that mission trip? The call of God is to disciple nations. You know, we tend to think in terms of small, but God thinks in terms of multiplication. He thinks big. God has a heart for cities, for communities, for kingdoms, for nations. So, absolutely. Do you think we need missionaries in the United States? We have some friends who moved here from Australia. Henry and Alex Seeley started a church called The Belonging Company in Nashville, Tennessee. We were there when they had about 35 to 40 young hipster musicians from Nashville. They started it in Nashville in a garage. That church, I don't know how many they have now, thousands and thousands. And they came here as missionaries to America. Now, we as Americans get all arrogant about that and say, well, who do they think they are? Well, let me tell you something. They're reaching young people in Nashville, Tennessee with the gospel. And they're training up an army of musicians who are going out into the entertainment industry and teaching and preaching and making disciples. They've got it. They're doing it. So thank the Lord that we have missionaries called to America. Amen? But what about Fredericksburg? What about our own backyard? Amen? Go. 
So and that scripture literally means as you go. <laughs> it's not just go, like sign up for a trip, although that's a good thing, but it also means as you are going in your daily rhythm, in our daily life, we're to be doing this thing, making disciples, baptizing them. Isn't it interesting, the order here? Have you ever thought about that? He says we're to be making disciples, then we're to baptize. Have you ever thought about that, even just for a second? You mean we're, we're to pre we're to disciple pre-Christians? You bet your bottom dollar we are. Think about it. The idea, so here's, here's what I like to say. Somebody will say, well, that person's lost. I'll say, they're not lost. They're just not yet a Christian. That we know where they are. They're right there. They're not lost. They're just pre-Christian. We have a lot of people in our orbit relationally that are just not yet Christians. They're just not finished. And how many of you believe or know that you have opportunity with people you work with, people that God put into your orbit, into your daily life, to actually pre, or actually disciple them pre-Christ? Which means sharing your faith, sharing your story, sharing your life, doing life with them. You're actually discipling them toward Christ. I think it's interesting and I think it's intentional, the wording on this. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. Go and make disciples, baptizing them. Think about the order of that. Who is in your orbit? Let's just do this right quick. I want you to think. And Holy Spirit, I'm asking a favor. Would you bring to our mind people that are in our relational orbit that are not yet Christians, or perhaps they're nominal, or they've just not even, they've never really stepped over the line, although they go to church and they, they punch a time clock at, at church, but they haven't really gone all in with Jesus. They don't have a relationship with the living Lord. Father, would you bring them into our mind and into our heart? And Lord, would you give us grace to know how to make disciples and then celebrate like we did a couple of weeks ago where we get to celebrate baptism. So would you show us who, who to disciple? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. And we're also, this is the ongoing discipleship process. This is what we're doing right now. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Notice he says commanded. He doesn't say everything I've given you the option to obey. Have you noticed that's not the wording there? There's a lot of imperatives in the scripture. An imperative, if you're looking at the Greek language, is a command. An imperative means this is not optional. But how many do you know that a lot of Christians in America, particularly here in the West, treat our faith as though things are optional? Well, maybe if I feel like it. Well, if I'm having a good spiritual day, if I'm feeling on the mountaintop, if I'm feeling led to share my faith today. I'm sorry, there's none of that involved here. Hate to break it to you, but we are called to go. And as we go, and as we are going, we are called to be discipling people along the way. And as we do, there will be opportunity to baptize them. And then in addition to that, take them to a whole nother level by teaching them everything the scripture says that Jesus has commanded, taught, there's no options here, by the way. There is no pick A, pick B, pick C, pick D. And surely I'm with you always. He gives the promise, I will be with you as you go. As you're going, I will be with you. 
Listen to this. To say that Jesus is Lord is to say he's not only the Son of God, but that he is God himself in the flesh. Realizing this shows the greatness and grandeur of God's love, that he would become a man and die for us. The gospel is this. The gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life we should have lived, and he died the death we should have died in our place. Three days later, he was raised from the dead, proving that he is the Son of God, and that anyone who would believe in him and go all in with him and give their life to him will inherit and enjoy eternal life. That's the gospel. That's the simple gospel. It's as simple as we can make it, is that he extends that free gift to us. This revelation changes our hearts and minds. To say we must trust and obey Christ doesn't mean salvation depends on our being perfect. What does our sign say? Say it out loud, please. I want you to get that in your gray matter in a very deep groove. I want it to be like a record that you hear over and over. Because the moment we think we've got to be perfect to be in the presence of God will be the day that we become judge, jury, and executioner for everybody around us. And some of us have been in some of those religious environments. Amen? It's painful. It's painful. So listen to this. It doesn't mean salvation depends on our being perfect. Rather, following Jesus as Lord is the attitude. Think of this. It's the attitude of complete surrender and obedience to Jesus Christ. The attitude suggests this. This is my mindset. This is where I'm leaning, but it doesn't mean that I will always make it there. We're leaning into it. I remember sitting with a group of elders one time, and they, we were talking about uh, the Sermon on the Mount and how, how lofty and ideal it is. And they were saying, well, I can't be an elder if I can't do the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm like, I, I'm like you, can't, you can't do the Sermon on the Mount. The Jesus that brought us the Sermon on the Mount was saying, this is the ideal. You lean. It's an attitude. But do you think you can do that? Now, I didn't ask that question then, but I ask it all the time now. How's that working for you? That's that golden question. And how many of us have lived in guilt because we're not doing the Sermon on the Mount? Because we fail miserably. But here's the purpose of failing miserably. It's so that we can now declare our dependence upon Jesus. It's now to declare that he, has to, that he gave his life for me so he could live his life in me so that he can live his life through me. And now he lives out, he lives out the Sermon on the Mount through me, and I'm along for the ride going, that's amazing. Wow. Why didn't I think of that? Because I'm not Jesus. The Holy Spirit himself is going to live it through you and touch lives as you go. And as we fumble and stumble along the way, can I get an amen? Can anyone relate to that? As we fumble and stumble along the way, Lives get changed. Lives get impacted. We grow. We expand our capacity. And here's what we find. We find peace and we find joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what the scripture says. We actually get to walk in shalom. You know what the word shalom means? Nothing missing, nothing broken, complete whole. We get to enjoy shalom even while we're stumbling and fumbling. I know. Don't try to make, just say wow. Don't say how. Just say, wow, God, you're amazing. Because it is beyond our, our comprehension. The peace that passes, surpasses all comprehension. That's what that is. 
It's the Greek word arene, but in the, the, the Hebrew equivalent is shalom. So that shalom that passes, you can't wrap your mind around it. Don't even try. Just receive it as a gift. Amen? And say, thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you, Lord, if it wasn't for you. But it is you, and you're working in my life. I hope that encourages you. So this this attitude of complete surrender. I want to read something to you. Francis Chan, to me, is a prophet to the church in our time. And if you were to tell him, hey, you're a prophet to the church, he'd say, no, I'm not. He's a prophet. If it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's a duck, right? So he is a prophet to the church. And, and every time I read something from Francis, do, it, y'all may or may not know who Francis Chan is. He was in California. He grew a mega, mega church. And then he quit. <laughs> he was like, what have I done? I've grown this massive church, hit all the success points in pastoral ministry. I'm being featured at conferences and all that, and I'm miserable, and I feel like we've completely missed Jesus. So he quit. He walked away from it, and he just started a handful of small groups in San Diego where he just, he just ministers to a handful of people. And he's still writing books. He's still involved, in, but he's, now his voice is different. Instead of coming from that superior, high throne, super mega successful pastor thing, now he's coming from a guy who's humble and hangs out with 12 to 15 people and does life with them on an ongoing basis. That's Francis Chan. Listen to what he says. Reading through the New Testament, it's not surprising to read that Jesus' followers were focused on making disciples. Are you starting to get a theme here? We're supposed to be making disciples, followers of Jesus. It makes sense in light of Jesus' ministry and the Great Commission. We read the Great Commission. That's Matthew 28, 18, and 20. Go, therefore, that's the Great Commission, or in some cases, the Great Omission, right? But that will not be the case here. Amen? Look what he says. The surprise comes when we look at our churches today in light of Jesus' command to make disciples. What you may or may not know that the golden question in the church world is how do we make disciples? And very few have given it enough time to actually do it. So we just make assumptions as we go. Well, if you will attend church and hear the preaching of the word, then you're going to, by osmosis, being in the church, you're going to get it. Or if you'll come to Sunday school, or if you'll come on Wednesday night, you're going to, we just have this osmosis mentality that by proximity and by association, we will become disciples. Let me say something. That's a good thing in the sense that you're posturing yourself to hear the word. But here's the deal. The attitude of a disciple is more important than the position of a disciple. It's here. It's here. It's you leaning into Jesus and saying, I need you. I need your help. Teach me. Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth, lead me and guide me into truth. And then having a heart that's quick to obey when he reveals truth to you. Because part of being a disciple isn't just sitting on our blessed assurance and becoming a spiritual couch potato and chewing on carbs all day, spiritually speaking, and just getting fatter and fatter and fatter. It's actually that we hear the word and that we respond to the word and we walk in obedience to the word. That's a disciple. Can I get an amen? So we get up and we go and make disciples, baptizing them. We go, and the cycle just goes. It's perpetual. It never stops. 
It never stops. That's the joy of this thing. And listen, it gets, it just gets gooder and gooder. That's terrible grammar, but it's true. It just gets better. And it gets more and fun because you begin to know his voice. The more obedient you are to the word, the more obedient you are to his voice, the clearer his voice becomes. Do you want to know how to hear the voice of God? Here's the deal. If you want to get more of God and want to have a clearer understanding, by the way, when we did our Oak Hill survey three years ago, that's what you said. I want to hear the voice of God. I want to learn to pray better. I want to hear the voice of God. I want to go deeper in Bible studies. So I'm going, yes, we're going to teach you how to do it. We're going to do that together. So here's how it is. This is simple. You have to get not only into the Word, you have to get the Word into you. And you don't get one without the other. So you, you can't just learn about the Bible, never do anything about it, and expect to be a disciple who's producing disciples and producing the fruit of the Spirit. No, you get the Word into you, you're into the Word, and there's an exchange that happens, and you're saying, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. You're like Isaiah in Isaiah 6 when he had the vision. He says, here am I, what? Send me. Here am I, send me, Lord. I always say the three W's, whatever, whenever, wherever. Let's go. Whatever you want. I'm here and I'm available. The surprise comes when we look at our churches today in light of Jesus' command to make disciples. Look what the last statement of this is so powerful. We have moved so far away from Jesus' command that many Christians don't have a frame of reference for what disciple-making looks like. And I don't mean this as a scathing indictment. It's just an observation, and it is not a negative criticism at all. But that goes for pastors. That goes for pastors. We don't have a track to run on. So we say, you should be reading the Bible but we don't tell you, don't start in Lamentations. I mean, we just thought, go read. Go read Exodus. Go, go read Job. That'll cheer you up. Yeah, I mean, that's life-giving. See, we just, we, we just assume, we make these assumptions, and we don't want to do that here. So let's get a plan. Let's get a track to run on. The purple book is a simple, let me just say what it is. It's a tool. The tool, though, is to get you to the Scripture. And all it is, is it, the purple book is nothing magic. All it does is give you a track to run on. It's, it's like having a map. It's like, well, we don't do maps anymore. It's like having a GPS. It just points you to true north, which is the scripture, and helps you get into alignment with the word of God. That's all it is. So you're going to hear the purple book until you're bleeding purple, okay? It's going to be coming out of our ears, eyes, mouth, nose. But here's the deal. I want it to come out of our heart that it's not the purple book, it's the scripture that it leads you to. Steve? Could be. Do I think it's, a, it's possible to have effective disciple? Yes. I have been in disciple-making churches where it came from the pulpit, it came from small groups, it came from classrooms, because discipleship was a high value. Whatever we value is what we will give attention toward and to. And when a church has a high value of discipleship, then what happens is there's a culture swing, a culture shift. By the way, you may or may not know it. I'm going to give away a trade secret. We are shifting culture right here at Oak Hills Fredericksburg. We will become, we will, mark my words, we'll become a disciple-making machine. 
Why am I committed to it and why am I passionate about it? A, it changed my life. Because somebody took the time to sit down with me, a new follower of Jesus. I didn't even know John 3.16. Talk about heresy, Steve. I did not know John 3.16. I knew nothing. Half the, half the scripture I quoted came from Archie Bunker and watching All in the Family back in the day. And he was misquoting it constantly. I didn't know anything. I had no frame of reference for God or the Bible or anything. So when I stepped over the line, all I knew was enough to be saved. And that's it. And somebody took me under their wing, a guy named Steve Gardner. He had gone to school at uh, Jerry Falwell's College in Lynchburg, Virginia. And he came back with a notebook chock full of stuff. And I was like a kid in a candy store. In fact, I ran off the entire three-ring binder, hundreds of pages. That church was like... The whole thing? I mean, the church secretary, I said, yeah, I just, I'll pay for it. I just want this whole book. So we ran off the whole binder. But he met with a group of us on Wednesday night after church. Remember when churches had Sunday night church and Wednesday night? I, I tell you, I, honestly, I miss it. I'm a church guy. I miss Sunday night. But anyway, that's, we had that. And so we would meet over at Steve's house, and he took about five guys through all of this course material. And it was deep. It was in We were way in over our heads but we were hungry and we were learning. That happened in a small environment, but it also happened when Pastor Hank Scott at Bacon Heights Baptist Church would teach the scriptures from the pulpit. And I would go, wow, wow. I didn't know that story. I didn't know that Bible story. I didn't know that. I was learning. It was all new for me. But it also happened on Sunday nights when there was a handful of people showed up and they, and they would stand and give testimonies and I would hear them talk about Jesus. And so that, all of that culture and that environment taught this new believer and I began to get a feel for it. Now, did they have a defined track? Not necessarily, but they had a culture. So culture is very powerful. So that's what we're doing here. Trade secret. I'm giving it all away. We are, in a very real sense, the frogs in the kettle and the water's getting warmer. I hope you're feeling the heat come up a little bit. And it's going to continue to do so. Because we should be seeing 150 people in here, not 80. You know what I'm saying? But give it time. Give it time. It's going to happen. So let's keep moving. We've got to move quickly. What did Paul write about Jesus? Now I'm going to move forward. In fact, Russ, we're going to skip forward because this is really where we were last week. Go to the next slide. Slide number 11. And out of Jesus, listen to this. According to Jesus, who will enter the kingdom of heaven? This is where the scripture starts taking on some gravity. This is where you're laying on the bench and you've got a 10-pound plate, a 50-pound bar, and somebody comes and puts 245s on. So all of a sudden, the weight comes on. Listen to this. According to Jesus, who will enter the kingdom of heaven? If you're looking in your book, it's lesson one, number five in chapter two. Matthew 7, 21, listen to the scripture. I don't know if any scriptures have ever scared you, but when I was a new believer, a lot of scriptures scared me. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's enough right there to scare you. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You know what that said to me as a young follower of Jesus at 19 years of age? I need to do the will of my Father in heaven. Now, it begs a question, what is God's will? How do I find out God's will? This is why I fell in love with the Scripture. Because the Scripture revealed His will. So, I would, 
I didn't want to be one of those that said, Lord, Lord, but didn't come into the kingdom of heaven. Didn't experience it. And I'm not even talking afterlife. I'm talking about here right now, experiencing the kingdom here and now. I did not want to go through the motions. Why would I go through all of that as a brand new Christian and then have to live the rest of my life wondering? So I, my mentality was, this is God's word. That means it's his will. Therefore, I want to I know his will. So I began to become a student of the word. And it just, it, it challenged me. But only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Number five question in that same lesson one. According to Jesus, who will enter the kingdom of heaven? This is the next verse. Many will say to me on that day. This should make you nervous. It did me. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? How many know when people stand up and prophesy, it's a powerful thing. And yet look what happens. Did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Prophecy, demons being cast out, and miracles performed. Would you say that's some pretty high-end stuff? Right? That's not, that's not Christianity 101. Actually, it is. But that's <laughs> another story for another time. That's the basic stuff. And here they are doing it. But look what he says in verse 23. Then I will tell them plainly. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, I'm just telling you, as a brand new Christian, that scared me. That just scared me. And I thought, wow, I don't want to be numbered among those who, who talk about Jesus but don't actually walk with him, don't actually know him, don't actually do what he says to do. And that, that set me on a trajectory of just bumbling and fumbling through learning what it means to know his will and do his will. It, it, it did crazy stuff. I played in a Christian rock band and, and got involved, and we'd set up on the drag downtown, Brownwood, Texas, and we'd do rock concerts out in the parking lot of First Baptist, which is on the end of the drag where all the kids on Friday and Saturday night smash drunk, cruising the drag, trucks, pickups, cars, you name it, craziness, and we would set up, and our band would do Christian rock concerts, and when we had two or three hundred kids standing in the parking lot with their beers and everything, then we also had evangelism hitmen who would go out in the crowd among the students and share Jesus with them, and we would see young people come to Jesus. That's what being quick to obey will do. It will put you in crazy places. It'll put you in situations where God better show up or this is going to be a big disaster. You ever hung it out there that far? You ever got off on a limb, start sawing it off, say, Lord, if you don't show up, this is going down. This is going to be ugly. I mean, what's beautiful about that, Annette saw this. I posted a post on Facebook recently. I do, every day I do a daily devotional. And someone who was in that group back in 1987, is that right? Yeah, 86 or 87 when we were doing these concerts on the drag. Someone wrote to me. Her name is Ronnie Winter. She's a Facebook friend, but she was a student in my youth group back then. I was a youth minister at, at First Baptist Church, Lake Brownwood. And she said, I remember when you used to go up and your band would set up on the drag. And, and she said, and all the kids would show up. She said, that's where I learned to love Christian music. And every time I hear Christian music now, I think about those nights on the drag and, and listen to those concerts. She remembered it imprinted her life. 
What does that do? Just being quick to obey puts you in a position to impact the trajectory of another person's life. And that's when this thing becomes an adventure. It's not just sitting in a study reading your Bible. It's, 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 it's actually reading the Bible and going, oh, I've got marching orders. Here I go. I know what I need to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples. So the narrow door. If, if it wasn't heavy before, where do we read these verses? All right. The Bible teaches that we're saved by God's grace. Can I get an amen? That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace are you saved, by faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, the free gift of God. So the Bible teaches we're saved by God's grace, not by our own good deeds. Amen? Not a one of us can earn this thing. Here's the thing. We were raised in a Puritan work ethic culture, right? You work eight hours, you get paid eight hours. That is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is upside down. It's backwards and it doesn't make sense. We get what we didn't earn and what we don't deserve because somebody else paid the price for us. Is that amazing? That's called grace. That's what we get. So it's not by what we do. We cannot earn eternal life by good behavior. Hopefully that's good news to somebody. But some of us are killing ourselves trying to do it. Some of you are just too nice. You're being nice because you're trying to earn something, and you're actually dumbing down your own God-given personality. I'm not going to make a case for being a jerk here. I'm just saying we've got to break out of this shell because God's given you creativity. He's given you expression. He's given you life. And some of us living and being raised in church, we dumb our personality down and we all conform to this image, this aberration of what we believe religion is to be. And you know what we stuff? We stuff creativity. We stuff good thinking. Do you know solutions to world problems are probably sitting in church nurseries right now and sitting in pews, but they're so stuffed under religion that we'll never get them out of people. At some point, you got to rip the top off it and begin to go, God wired me this way. I'm a wild and crazy guy. I need to be wild and crazy for Jesus. Does that make sense? Does that sound irreligious? I hope it sounds a little irreligious. It's meant to. Some of us need to shake that off and realize there's, there's creativity and life and expression with these, these young people in our church. I did their wedding, and we were there at the birth of their baby, and, and, and this girl, she was tatted up, and she dressed interesting. And, and I remember a prophet from, Austra from uh, Auckland, New Zealand came, Greg, and Greg walked over to these two, and they're just, they were our wild child. They were, they were the wild kids of our church, and we loved them to Jesus. But man, they were always making mistakes and stumbling over themselves and just just no perfect people. They were that. And to, to the nth degree, and I remember Greg, we brought him in. He was from New Zealand, but he had this prophetic grace on him. We spent time with him. And he, I remember him going up to them. You remember this? He looked at him. He said, don't ever change. He said, do not let religion change you. Now, at first we were like, oh no, maybe a little, Greg, just, just a little. We need, <laughs> don't do, <laughs> you remember that? But you know what? He was right. He was absolutely right. Now, back at the time, I was still shaking off some stuff, and I remember going, ah, don't tell them that. They need to change a little. But that was me. That was my own preferences trying to interfere with the process of God and the beauty of God that he'd created. You know why? Because he saw them as a masterpiece. 
and Greg saw them as they were in the eyes of God. I was seeing them as I wanted them to be in the, through the eyes of religion. Does that make sense? Isn't it beautiful to just grow older and die to that stuff instead of growing older and being stuffed more down into it? Amen? <laughs> you can say amen by faith. That's okay. We cannot earn eternal life. We must receive the gift of Jesus' work on the cross. However, when true salvation occurs, the evidence, this is key, the evidence of our changed lives should be obvious. The fruit of our lives. That's how, somebody says, man, they, they made a profession of faith, they got baptized, and do you think it really took? And I said, well, let's just watch. Let's just wait. Hurry up and wait. It could take years. Do you know there are seeds that are planted in us that sometimes take a long time to germinate? You know a bamboo tree. You know anything about bamboo? Did you know you can plant a bamboo shoot and for five years it will do nothing? You'll think, I might as well just pull that thing out of the ground because it's not even growing. But guess what happens the fifth year? The fifth year that thing can grow 75 feet. We have a plant in our yard. You remember that weird plant? We, it looks like a yucca. I don't even know what it is. Some of y'all could tell me what it is. It's like a desert plant. But for the first two years we lived there, hardly anything. And then one day, we noticed the shoot coming out of the middle of it. And the next day, it was like eight feet tall. I mean, it was almost like if I sat there long enough, and if I had a point of reference, I think I could have literally seen it growing. This thing got to be 12, 13 feet tall. And it got so heavy that it sort of just began to lean over. I don't know what that plant is, but it reminded me of the bamboo plant. Because for the longest time, there was nothing. It just looked dormant. Let me tell you something. There are people that step over the line, they get baptized, and then it looks like a colossal failure. You know what I'm talking about? And what do we say? Well, it just didn't take. Let me tell you something. Some of us are like bamboo plants, and there's something in there, and it may take time. We need to have a lot of grace for people going in those waters of baptism and not judge and start looking for fruit the next day. I don't know about you, but it, it took me a while. I was like that bamboo plant. It just took a long time to germinate. But let me tell you, that fifth year, boom. We need to pray, God, bring that fifth year for them. Bring it, Lord, where we see exponential growth and we won't even know where it came from. We figure, oh, they were baptized. Remember that was like several years ago. Don't give up on people just because they don't come out of the waters of baptism, quoting the Bible and leading people to Jesus and showing up every time the doors are open. Don't, don't we can't judge, amen? Let's just say, oh Lord, give them grace, give them grace. And we need to give them the grace that we ourselves require, Amen. When true salvation occurs, the evidence of our changed lives should be obvious. That goes for those of us that have known Jesus for 40 years. Some of us have known Jesus so long, we forgot what it was like before we were saved, and we've actually reverted back to almost as bad as we were. We're just religious now. We just say it better. We just clean up better. Amen? I'm starting to meddle, so I'm going to move forward. Matthew. Matthew 7.13. Enter... The, through the narrow gate, 
So think about this. There's a narrow gate. Actually, in Israel, there's a, a place called that. It's literally a, a place that you have to squeeze through. It's a very small opening. And when he said that, their, their mind went to that place. It was a geographic place. Enter through the narrow gate. And they're going, oh, I know where that is. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. You say that in the right church, you get a lot of amens there. Amen, pastor. Preach to those hellions. Preach to those decadent reprobates. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Remember I said there's some scriptures that scared me, especially when I was a young follower of Jesus? That's another one. What does few mean? Could that be 700 million in light of the history of the world? Or could that be, I don't know. I don't know, but here's what I do know. I'm going to be securely in the pack. I'm going to position myself where if they go, I'm going with them. Amen? You're not leaving me behind. And what does that mean? That precipitates me knowing the will of God and being a bit quick to obey, walking with him. Oh, I'm so grateful for grace. The Bible declares that Jesus Christ is the source of our righteousness. We did a whole study using Bill Loveless material about the source. Make sure the source is right. What, who is your source? What is your source? He's the source of our righteousness. The word righteous simply means to stand upright, right standing with God. Yet God's laws have not been done away with. There's still such a thing as right and wrong. Can I get an amen? When we break these laws, it is still called sin. The difference is that now, as Christians, we not only can be forgiven, but we also have a new ability. Listen to this. A new ability to say no to sin. There's an empowerment that comes with knowing Jesus and being filled with his spirit and with his presence, where now we have an ability that we did not have before to say no. Now, it's not just as simple as the old say no to drugs thing. Just say no. That sounds great until you're in a situation. But we now have someone, not just something, but someone living inside of us that gives us the ability, the ability to say, ah, that's, that may not be good for me. We have an ability to do that. The word sin simply means this. It means to miss the mark. You're aiming for this, but you hit this. So when we sin, we're missing the mark. The mark is here, but we keep missing. If it's anything like my golf shot, we keep missing. <laughs> we're missing the mark because we're missing. We don't have our eyes set on the target. Listen to this, John 14, 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. That is Jesus. Again, putting weight on the bar. If you love me... Ugh, you will obey what I command. You'll do what I say. For 1421, whoever has my commandments, again, Jesus speaking and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love him and show myself, reveal, manifest myself to him. You want to see Jesus? Man, just do what he says. He says, if you'll just do what I say, I'm there. I'll show up. I'll be with you. I love the first part of that. Whoever has my commands and obeys, he's the one who loves me. So how do we know we love Jesus? <laughs> we just do what he says. It's not that complicated, is it? It's the Geico commercial, right? Caveman can do it. I follow that guy on Instagram, by the way. There's actually a dude. He's an actor. 
And the, the Gacko Caveman, his Instagram's hilarious. You should look it up. These warnings remind us that we're not just new people in theory, but we are called to live a new way. So it's not just you, you got a new badge, you got a new name, you've got, you're, now you're wearing a Jesus is Lord t-shirt or Lord's Gym t-shirt or what would Jesus do bracelet or Oak Hill's, you know, motto. It's, it's not that. It's literally a new way to live. It's, it's like putting on different glasses. Oh, it's like putting on different glasses. Like right now, I can't see that great. But when you put on the right lens, suddenly everything's clear, crisp, colors come alive. What is it? It's living a new way from a new source. When you live from a new source, you see everything different. Everything takes on a new difference. I don't know if any of y'all wear glasses, but do you remember the first time you put them on and you were like, whoa, I didn't know I was that blind. That was, that was my reaction. What? That tree has leaves over there? Are you kidding me? I just always thought it was a big blob. Now I'm like, I see definition and clarity. Like life comes into high definition. 1080 DPI. All of a sudden, boom, there it is. It's clear. We're called to live a new way. As humans, we certainly won't be perfect. What does our sign say? Wow. Love your enthusiasm. As humans, we certainly won't be perfect. But because of Christ, we are on a journey. Listen to this. We're on a journey. This is epic. This is Lord of the Rings stuff. We're on a journey. We're, and we do live in Middle Earth, right? We're right in the middle of all this. But we are on a journey. Look at this. We're on a journey that will lead to greater and greater victories over the sins and weaknesses that previously dominated our lives. Do you know what that is? Process. Journey. Are you getting the language here? You don't come out of the waters of baptism and have it all together. Some of us have been walking with Jesus a long time. We still don't have it all together. Amen? Someone say, it's complicated. It is complicated. Life is complicated. This thing is complicated. But here's the deal. It's, we're greater and greater victories. We're living at greater degrees, greater measures of grace, greater, greater, greater measures of his presence, his power, who he is, manifesting his life to us and through us so that others get to partake. It's like that song we sing, New Wine. I love that. In the pressing, in the crushing. He's creating, producing, making new wine. He's, out of that, new things are coming out. And what does it do? It gives life to others. That's what, what this thing's about. As humans, we won't be perfect, but because of Christ, we're on this journey. On this journey. The process is called, this is a theological word for you. You're going to learn a word tonight. Sanctification. Now, remember, justification means justified, justified, never sinned. Sanctification means that we are in a process, what the Bible calls training in righteousness. Training in righteousness is an accurate way to say it because you don't just, you, we become positionally righteous, we just don't become practically righteous. That's an ongoing process. So in Christ, we're holy. We're raised up, seated together in heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. That's Ephesians 2, jumping back to Ephesians 1. Seated in Christ. However, the reality of it is, is we're caught in Middle Earth. We're living, we're in, in a dualistic life. We're caught between two worlds. Where positionally we're there, but pragmatically and practically speaking, we're getting there. Wait, how can we be there and still be getting there? Welcome to the world of mystery as a follower of Jesus. The Eastern mindset, the Hebrew mindset did not have a problem with that. They were like, oh yeah, we're saved and being saved. And they had not an issue with that. 
We're in the process of being sanctified. We're holy and we're being made holy at the same time. We're perfect and we're being perfected at the same time in Christ. So just say wow. Wow is a good word when you hear these things and go, just amen, brother. I'm going to receive it by faith and maybe over time I'll begin to make sense of it. But you don't need to know every detail of this thing, right? We're Western thinkers, so we think we need to know every detail. We really don't. Just receive the gift. Enjoy the gift. I don't need to know how this Apple Watch works. I just like what it does. And I'm thankful for it. Amen? It's like your car today. We used to could work on our own trucks. Can I get an amen? Nowadays, I open up, I see a bunch of plastic. And I'm like, I don't even know where to start. Where's the engine? What do you mean it's turned this way now? I mean, everything's, it's just different. It's a mystery now. And I just say, wow, I'm just glad this thing runs. And the day it doesn't, I'm going to have to take it to somebody who knows how to fix it because I can't do it anymore. I can't even change my own oil anymore. It's, it's everything. But the deal is, is that's okay. I don't have to know how that engine works. I'm just glad it does. Amen? It's the same way in our faith. It works. We don't always have to know exactly how. So embrace sanctification, the process of growing. Can I get an amen? 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, or slanderers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11. And that is what some of you were. Someone say were. You can just point at somebody, your neighbor, and just say, that's what you were. You were a swindler. You were. <laughs> this is a chance for you to get one in. So at that and that is what some of you were. I love the past tense of that because that is not who we are now. Amen? Thank Jesus. We're not where we want to be. We're not where we used to be. We're in the process of sanctification. We're on the journey together. But you were washed. Look at the beauty of this language. You were washed. The idea of made clean, made fresh. You were washed. You were sanctified. There's that word again, sanctification. You were set apart, sanctified. You were justified. There's that word, justified, never sinned. You're made righteous. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now I'm going to read that straight through. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That is you now. You were, you were, you were, you were, and now you are in him, and you are free indeed. Now. Not someday gonna be. When we get on the other side of the river, when we get over to Jordan, we cross the Jordan, we get into Beulah land, all that's great, and it really makes for a romantic moment in church, but at the end of the day, we're that now. Now. You are that right now. Just say wow. It's a wow. That is a big wow. Amen? Wow. I met with a missionary yesterday who goes all over the world. And he's a guy who was one of the top number five house builders in San Antonio, multi-gazillionaire at one point. And he literally walked away from everything he'd spent his entire life building, built multi-multi-million dollar homes, to go to India, to villages to teach people about who they are in Christ once they step over the line. And he goes to East Africa. He pretty much goes anywhere he gets an invitation. 
And he goes and he brings Jesus and he brings life and he brings hope. Because for him, the kingdom of God was a lot more important than the kingdom he had built. And he looked at me and he said, you know what, you know what? He said, you see that little car out there? I said, yeah. He goes, I used to get a new car every year, whether I needed it or not, I just traded in, got another, traded in, got another. He said, I never had a car that had more than 19, 20,000 miles on it. He goes, that car has 220,000 miles on it. He said, I have to pray every time I get into it that it will start and that it will hold together on the road. He goes, but you know what? I'm the and the guy won't quit smiling. I mean, he made me a little uncomfortable. You ever been around somebody who smiles so much? You're like, really, dude? Back off. He was like, man, excited about Jesus. And then when he was telling me about sharing the gospel in these villages and in these huts, we met over at High Street in Comfort. We sat there for two hours just like, man, just going at it, both so excited. We, we just wait for the next one to pause so one of us could talk. You ever been in those conversations where you're just excited? And, and he just started weeping in the restaurant, weeping. Just, I'm sorry, every time I talk about Jesus, I just get emotional. He's so changed my life. Ah, man. I said, bro, I love your passion. Never met the guy before. Met him on Facebook. That's always a little scary. I'm going to go meet somebody I talked to on Facebook. But when he reached out to me, he said, we got to meet. And I said, I'm in. I'm like, oh, what am I doing? I didn't even tell Annette. I didn't hardly know him because Sheba said, don't go. What are you thinking? But I just felt like I was supposed to. And turns out I met a brother in Christ who's so on fire for Jesus. He makes me feel ashamed. Not in a bad way, in a good way. Listen to this. Yeah, wow. And that is what some of you were, but that's not who you are now. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? All right, a couple more things will land. The Bible talks a lot about fellowship. Fellowship, it's, it's a Greek word that means it's koinonia, and it means that coming together. Fellowship is more than hanging out with others. It's sharing life with them. We call it doing life together. Our life group meets on Tuesday night, and I just walk in, and all I know to say is, hey, family, because that's what they are. When I see you, I say, hey, family, because that's what you are. And doing life together. And we don't live with each other. Well, some of us do. I know you live with your kids, but I mean, we don't all live together. We do life together. <laughs> Not for long, praise the Lord. But it's more than hanging out. It's sharing life. It's opening our lives to other followers of Jesus and living in community with them. You know what's cool about meeting with Greg yesterday? We were both joking and laughing about how we're so weird for Jesus that we can't hardly have friends unless they want to talk about him. We sort of put people off, not on purpose, but man, I, I'm sorry. That is the center of my universe. That's the center of my galaxy. And so if you want to hang out with me, we're going to talk about Jesus. It's just going to come up. I can't help it because we leak out what we're full of. Amen? And we were joking about how, man, we just repel people right and left because they, they want to talk about whatever. And it's like, man, that's cool. I'll give a little bit of that, but man, let's get back to the primary purpose of what we were born for because this is what we're created for, y'all. Since it's opening our lives to other followers of Jesus and living in community with them, while God doesn't want us to abandon our relationships with unbelievers, amen, and isolate ourselves from the world. Remember, we're in it. We're just not of it, the scripture says. Authentic fellowship is something that is experienced in its fullest with other believers. We are better together. And that song that we play during our meet and greet, it is very intentional. It's not just because I like the riff and the groove, although I do. But it's the song, We Are Family, and it's intentional. 
I want us to get this idea that we are family. And in this moment, can we just laugh a little bit and smile a little bit and be family? And we all know families get weird, right? It's complicated. <laughs> families get weird. Trust me, I did a wedding for a nephew this weekend. It got weird. It was drama. We would have made Jerry Springer very happy man. He would have been, oh, I want you on my show. I mean, that's, that's how it was. And, uh, man, if any of my family sees this next Sunday's message, they're going to be going, oh, I knew he was going to talk about that. In fact, my sister-in-law already reached out to me, was nervous that I was going to say something. I said, yeah, I probably will. So it's kind of, I said, man, y'all gave me so much material for this family series we're about to do. I mean, that's how Annette and I were laughing, like, boy, we got a lot of material here. It's like, wow, this series is going to be amazing. All because of one wedding. It's funny. It is complicated. That's the title of the first message, by the way. It's complicated, right? Family. While God doesn't want us to abandon our relationship, this is so critical. Authentic fellowship is something that is experienced as fullness with other believers, all right? And, um, wow, I'm going to stop here because it, it gets, we just go right off the cliff right here. So we're going to keep this, keep this simple and, and to the point. The idea here, church, family, is that God's working on us and we're going somewhere in him. Amen? So I want to encourage you, listen, just because somebody didn't start lesson one with us doesn't mean this is one of those moving trains or it's like a, a merry-go-round. You can jump on it at any point in the ride. So if you know somebody who you're thinking they should be here, or maybe somebody you actually thought, wow, when, when Jimmy prayed... For me to have somebody in mind, this person came to my mind, why don't you just invite them? And they just pick up right where we are. And then, when we get finished, you can meet with them afterwards and go, hey, you missed the first two chapters, but I, let's do that together. Let's just go back and pick that up. That would be an easy on-ramp for you. That's, a, that's called a slow pitch. That's a slow pitch. It's low-hanging fruit. So if you can get them here and they get a little bit of this, then you can backtrack and pick it up with them. Does that make sense? So invite somebody. So let me pray something. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, who can we invite? Who can we bring in? Who needs to be here to be taught, to be trained, to be equipped, to be empowered? Scripture says that you've gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So who needs to be here to be equipped? So Lord, would you put somebody in our minds, somebody in our hearts, somebody in our path that we can invite to say, hey, it's not too late. Jump in. Just jump on it. It's a moving go around. Just jump on it and enjoy the ride. So Lord, whoever it is, would you bring it to our mind, that person? or those people, or that group who needs to be here so they can be trained in discipleship. I pray for my friends that even as we walk out of here, Lord, I pray that, that my passion and my heart would be contagious, that it would light a fire for others, and that, Lord, the content of your word would change our lives forever. We love you and honor you in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen, amen. Love you guys. God bless you.